Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And uh, the topic today, it's actually an interesting one because we have covered security and cybersecurity quite a bit, but we wanted to connect it to the business growth. So the topic is securing business growth with cybersecurity. What we're talking about here is essentially that cybersecurity is no longer a technical issue, but we all want it to be a strategic business enabler, but easier said than done. We know it is critical to building trust and reputation. And we know that when we align cybersecurity with the business strategy, that's what it's going to lead to innovation and transformation. And it's going to help with new business models, mergers and acquisitions, all kinds of disruptions when they happen. Security again has to be put back on the front seat to make sure that we are a secure first organization, even though you aspire to grow leaps and bounds. But right. how well are organizations able to do it? What are the challenges they're facing? And what are those secret recipes some of the top security leaders are using so that they can deliver that kind of business growth on a consistent basis while making sure the organization stays secure? And I couldn't have had a better guest to talk about it. I have Patrick Benoit, who is the Global Chief Information Security Officer with Brinks. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I really appreciate the opportunity to come and visit with you. Definitely. The the honor is all mine. So, you know, since the topic is about business growth, let's talk about that. And let's talk brass tacks. Would you say, or in which all areas would you say cybersecurity actually contributing to business growth? Because the traditional definition of the cybersecurity function is, okay, keep us safe. Mm -hmm. Sure. And and with the misnomer is we fail, we always try and put specific um, widgets that we're selling or services that we're selling as that's the only thing that contributes to business. But just like a, a customer excellence organization or a marketing organization or any of these other supporting organizations do, um, you can't do business without them and you can't do business without security. You certainly can't do business without technology. And um, so being able to be an affirmative part of a sales team, a customer experience team in a company as a CISO uh, makes me part of that team and makes me valuable. If they can take me on a sales call, maybe it's a proposal, or, you know, a potential prospect or whatever, and put me in front of that customer to talk about how secure we will keep their data and how secure we will make their processing, then all of a sudden, uh, I think we sell quicker than if, if you just try and do it yourself and bring us in at the end. So you have to use the security organization as a forward-facing um, you know, marketing tool in some ways and sales tool. So lately when a lot of people got their names on Wall Street and people got fired, et cetera, so that created almost a fear and that drove cybersecurity to come at the forefront. But then if the fear dwindles, then people have a tendency to, you know, pull back from that uh, 
catalyst which got them to get around the fear part and or get the credibility going. But then for, for security to be there forever, literally, and be embedded in the DNA of the business growth process, we got to go beyond that fear instilling uh, fast face of security and make it more that this will make us think better. This will make us innovate better. Has a thought process started in that area? Uh, yeah, I think it absolutely has. I think we still struggle a lot with ensuring that um, we think about security in the beginning rather than as an afterthought. I think there's still some struggle with that because uh, especially in the technology arena, people are running so fast, they get all these cool ideas or they run out to talk to some vendor that's going to have some great thing that's going to help them out. And they don't think about the ramifications to the entire environment until after the fact. So more and more, though, that's changing. People are starting to be aware of and including security on the very first discussions that you have with people. Um, and even if they're just listening and they're understanding what's going on early in the projects, that's going to make the process go a whole lot smoother. And you're going to get feedback from security uh, engineers, security people, security experts that you won't get from if, if you wait to the end. They have a different view of things, a different perspective of things. And security people also need to learn, though, that they can't talk from the point of view that we're trying to, you know, block what's going on. We have to be solutioning as we go. So we do need to call out information that's important to make the innovation successful, but it's how we frame it too. And that's why I always go over this idea of, you need to learn how to be a storyteller too. So we, we established that security could be offering that confidence and the trust, which could help people think that these guys, like that is a company where security is properly implemented. This is a good outfit to work with. That's awesome. But now when we're talking about growth, which comes from you being agile and also you're innovative, when it comes to agility and innovation, tendency is for us to rip things apart, do creative destruction, try to think and tinker with things different ways. But then that is totally 180 degree opposite to when somebody is trying to implement cybersecurity and they want to have related compliance established, they want a stable state versus saying, you keep ripping things apart and I'm going to I'll be running ahead of you to keep things secure. That seems to be too uh, ambitious a task. So how does an organization on one hand says, go guys, go do your agility stuff and then go do your innovation stuff and we will take care of the security. Can it, can it be realistically done? Well, the, the mistake that too many people make, and it's not just in this situation, but the mistake is that people fail to realize and fail to accept that in everything we do, there's going to be some duality that goes on like that. In this case, it's convenience or speed versus speed to market versus safety or security. Um, you, it, there's a balance point in there. Extremism on either side is not going to satisfy what you need to do as a business. You're not going to be a stable business that way. If you run off with all innovation and you provide no security whatsoever, you're going to fail somehow. You're going to get breached. You're going to, something's going to happen. It's going, you're going to fail. You might have the coolest, most innovative idea in the world, but nobody's going to want it because they know that their data is not safe. 
On the other hand, if you try and over-engineer a security solution that ends up um, you know, driving down the benefit of the innovation to the point that it's, it's, it's not useful anymore or it's not fast enough anymore, then you've done the same thing. Both extremes will kill the business and kill the idea. So you've got to find a balance point. Um, and, and in some cases, it may be if you want to destroy and tear up and innovate when you're testing and developing, then isolate that environment from the rest of the world. Make sure that they can have fun in that sandbox and not risk the rest of the company. And then once it is ready for prime time, apply appropriate controls and move it into the production environment with the rest of the world. There's got to be balance there. There's got to be balance in all things. So when we talk about DevOps and when we talk about continuous improvement and CICD and many other new models that are coming up, especially in a cloud environment where you literally want to put 20 things into production every day because you want to stay ahead. That is a different animal than the traditional old, you know, doing the SDLC or other form of changes that you will test, et cetera. And I'm not saying we will not test, but imagine that environment where you're moving at a warp speed and you want security to catch up yeah. and create different environments and test it thoroughly to your satisfaction as a security leader. Do you see us giving away uh, the potential of security being? true to its potential in the interest of we trying to do 20 things in a second. I, I think, again, this is where um, in some ways security has fallen a little bit behind, not necessarily because of our own uh, desire to stay behind, but sometimes it has to do with, is the company willing to invest? The same way you invest in CICD technologies and things to make that pipeline move faster, you are gonna have to invest equivalently or appropriately on the security side to have controls that are consistent with that kind of methodology. Taking a water, an old waterfall methodology and advancing it into agile while leaving your security based in the old perimeter based, you know, uh, a single, you know, pen testing uh, waterfall kind of uh, SDLC uh, uh, security is not gonna work. So you can't have old security trying to apply to new development if you want to really move fast. You're going to have to invest and bring your security program up to a level where it's integrated into that CI/CD pipeline, where you have continuous scanning, where the developers can ask for their own pen testing and it gives them that testing or their own uh, dynamic and, and, and static application testing and not wait for the, GI, the security team to make that, that work for them. See, we all have been talking about integrating cybersecurity into the business strategy and planning and all the way to execution. Almost like making it the, you know, put it at the very DNA of the organization. Right. Cool. I mean, we really want that. But then we also have situations where many CISOs have not become business CISOs yet and are considered as a business savvy CISOs. So they are still struggling to get a seat at the table and are getting the leaders at the top to think security first. Right. So is right. this a pipe dream or would have you in your experience have done something where you could confidently say that, yes, based on how you play your cards, this is doable? Because for the most part, most people struggle. 
Yeah, and it's a, I think it's an evolutionary and a maturity kind of process. If we go back and we look at the evolution of a CIO role, if, if you went back to the 80s, 90s, say, time frame, um, you had primarily IT directors and, and nobody called them, except in the biggest of the biggest companies, CIOs. And even then, CIOs uh, oftentimes reported to CFOs or some other uh, you know, L2 leader in ELT. Um, it, it took time for CIOs to project the business acumen and confidence that they were support how they were building and working towards the same business goal and strategically um, uh, complementing it before they were believed and they got that seat at the table. What we have in the CISO role is the same thing. If you look at the evolution of the CISO, which I, I think technically uh, legend is that 1998 was about the first person that was called that, but if you you don't really see the the real influx of the CISO until after about 2007 or eight when um, I forget when PCI first came out maybe 2007 or eight and PCI was the ones that said hey you, you got to have a named chief of, a named information security officer a named head of security and um, all of a sudden people start turning around companies would turn around especially mid sized companies and they'd go. Oh gosh, uh, Pat, you're doing the firewall rules. You know the most about security of our network and everything because it was all perimeter based. Um, I, th I think we need to name you as the CISO. You need to be the CISO. And that's okay. Those folks that took those early roles were, were then very successful at parlaying that into the next bigger company, the next bigger company. And they learned more about you know, how to be a CISO as we got more resources and we interacted with community and stuff. But many have never had a business-specific role, a business operations side role. And as a result, they, they just don't have that experience. That's happening more and more as CISOs are brought into that side of the, the uh, equation. And so it's going to evolution, you know, evolve into they're, they're going to have more business acumen. They're going to have to have more business acumen at that point where they can have those discussions with business leaders, where they can uh, accompany a sales team out to the, to the customer and face the customer and be strategic, that's when that seat at the table will start to occur. Um, I personally, uh, I, you know, I'm finally, after many, many years of preaching that security leaders have to be sales leaders, I'm finally getting traction in companies where they are realizing the benefit of putting a strong security leader that has a good business background in front of the customer. That's going to drive, it's going to drive more business. It's going to help the business enhance revenue. It's going to drive more confidence in the security, the CISO role. And eventually that's where that seat at the table will come from. So traditionally, we have always aspired to have a cybersecurity aware culture where each individual will take ownership of the, the data that they have and or the application and system, and they take ownership of the security of that organization. And in fact, not stop there, but I almost champion and advocate it. Great, great dream. But people have constantly struggled. And the second thing, which is even more important is just becoming cyber security aware pushes an individual or creates an intrinsic motivation for an employee 
to go to that level or there is something more required because this looks like oh yeah we will train these people and we'll do this awareness training but there's still something is left to be desired and still it has not been solved yet so if you had a choice to build a culture and define culture so that everyone does what we are hoping them to do would you stop at just cybersecurity awareness or you'll do something beyond that Well I I think you you do do beyond that but I think we've missed an opportunity over the years and I've said this many times that you know the culture that's at a business comes from the people that lead the business the people that lead the business got their culture from primarily their upbringing and their their home life and then they bring what their values are into a company and they have influence over the values of the company over time We've been teaching cybersecurity for years and years and years awareness from the point of view of here's how you protect yourself when you're sitting at your desk at the office, right? The problem with that is very seldom does what we do in business at the office translate to what we do at home. However, the reverse is not true. What we do at home, the values that we live, the integrity that we bring, the way we operate at home in our personal life in general we do bring into the business into the business with us it it's part of who we are so we need to stop teaching purely from a how do you secure yourself at work point of view and start teaching how do you make cybersecurity part of your personal life how do you become cybersecurity aware all the time and protect yourself and your family because that will translate into benefits in the workplace now let's talk about uh, some common misconceptions that exist about security which essentially demotivates or hinders demotivates people and leaders and hinders business growth overall and if we can inventory maybe you could also share some solutions or some remedies to address them so i mean obviously the cliche misconception is that it's the department of no that we say no to everything and i think everybody's worked real hard to try and make sure that that's not the case the fact is we don't we're not the business we don't own the end result of what's going on so we don't have the right to say no we definitely have the right to say this is risky behavior and you know it it would be much like a parent talking to a 21 year old uh you know they can't necessarily say no but they can certainly point out risky behavior and then at, at some point somebody's going to have to accept the consequences of their decision so that's a huge misconception and i think again it's all in how you present that we're not saying no we're just saying if you want to do this we're going to protect you as best we can we're going to provide you safety nets but in the end you're going to as a business you have to accept the risk uh, of your of your actions big misconception i think it's a misconception that a big misconception that security professionals can only work in security but i think we have the same problem with technology with cios that cios and technologists are only technologists and that mis- that's a misconception because there's so much more to be gained from accepting their experiences and taking their viewpoints on business and bringing them into those business discussions and those strategy discussions allowing people to operate outside their 
their confined role in terms of providing input and learning so that you get the benefit of that person as a whole. You know, we, we talk about diversity all the time, and that's the real gain of diversity is don't don't look at a person and say, oh, you're just the CISO. So unless you're talking about security, you have nothing to contribute. No, that's part of that diversity. Yes, you're the CISO, but you have so many other more experiences that could be beneficial. So don't fall into that trap of it's a security person or it's a technology person. So that's all they can talk about. You know, explore that further. Big misconception. I think there's also a last one I'll give you, huge misconception that that security really is a technology problem, that if we go buy another tool, it will solve the problem. Um, We had a conversation at one of the conferences that you and I were at, and somebody was talking about um, uh, artificial intelligence and how it's going to play a big role in future attacks uh, and, and, and bad actors. And my point in that was it, it will, but I think it'll play less of a role in how do we attack devices. It'll play a much greater role, in my opinion, in how do we attack social engineering? How do we attack individuals? So in the end, we still have to go back to that awareness thing and go back to, to ways that we can protect and help the individual protect themselves and not just always think that we can buy another tool and that's going to solve the problem. So those to me are some of the three biggest misconceptions. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And let's actually now dig deeper and see that if, and we are seeing this happening with us, the the threat landscape is definitely changing. And that means there will be and there are emerging cybersecurity risks. And if we are not cognizant of them and are not taking some proactive steps and staying on top or ahead of them, then it could come and haunt us and hinder our business growth. So which emerging cybersecurity risks we should be aware of as businesses? And what are some of the ways we can stay ahead of the curve and try to make sure that the business growth path is not, uh, you know, the business growth is not dampened or hindered or stalled. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Patrick, let's talk about some emerging cybersecurity risks, which could be showing some weak signals or strong signals. First of all, let's inventory those. So 
I, I think that, you know, obviously, um, as long as ransomware is successful, it'll continue to be a problem. Now, I don't necessarily view ransomware uh, from from the recovery point of view. It's a much greater uh, 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 effort than it is from the attack point of view, because the attack point of view, it doesn't matter if it was ransomware or just malware or some other uh, exploit. When when they attack, they still have to come in through some 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 method that um, it has nothing to do with what the attack is generally. And so we're still going to have uh, a lot of opportunity to protect against what are similar attacks. So I don't think that changes that much how they get into the system to begin with. That's going to be remain relatively consistent. They might come up with newer, quicker ways to do it. They might come up with more innovative ways to do, uh, as we talked about, AI for social engineering. But they're still going to gather, mo- get most of their attacks through social engineering type type uh, 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 avenues. But the difference is, how do we recover? How do we make ourselves um, safe and and able to easily recover from ransomware so that? It does. It becomes a situation where where nobody can really make money on that. If 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 we are able to recover and it just becomes a natural event that oh it happened and now we move on and there's no economic benefit to the attackers, then that's going to fall away eventually, and it'll just be like now we see DDoS attacks from time to time, but not like we used to because there's no economic value in it to them. So I think that's important, but I think where we're really going to see an ups an uptick, frankly, is we continue to build technology debt, and we continue to build technology debt that's not being addressed, which means we're going to continue to build vulnerability debt in that old technology. And so we have to take the time and invest in the basics and the hygiene things, and it's not sexy, but the fact that most companies cannot tell you where all their equipment is, where all their data is, and cannot tell you that they have all of their vulnerabilities uh, uh, accounted for, that they're patched 100%, that they have no end of service, end of life uh, assets out there, that's a fact. And that's still gonna be our greatest exposure um, to attackers is those basic things because we're so fundamentally focused on looking for the next new thing. So if we ever had best practices about handling cybersecurity, especially when you got some third party cybersecurity risks that we might encounter, mm. and also making sure that the vendors and partners meet those standards Given the landscape, the speed at which the same security landscape is changing, we might have to reimagine them. And first of all, I wanted to ask you, are you reimagining them as as representative of the cybersecurity community or you're picking something that used to work in 2018 and still applying them? You know, I think it's a mix of both because there are still some good good practices, some things from way back when that are, are still applicable. Uh, you know, patching your systems. That hasn't changed. We still got to patch our systems. Um, but yeah, there are things we can look at that might be, uh, you know, new new ways to uh, to deal with, with the problems. Um, you know, we see that all the time with emergence of 
of the idea, the concept of zero trust. And finally, we're getting past the idea that that's a, a thing and people are starting to understand that's a philosophy, a concept, a, a viewpoint, an approach. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's an evolution and that's a new thing. We need to get past this idea that um, we can only have either best in breed um, uh, products or we have to have an integrated platform. It doesn't have to be either or. The, the best in breed idea is why we have thousands of vendors out there. And every day, uh, you know, we get saturated with more vendors of products. And so it makes it very, very difficult to even sort through the noise to get to what really works. And for everything that really works, there may be 10 or 15 that only works a little bit. So, you know, I think that's that's where our greatest opportunities lie in innovation is is to be able to cut through the noise somehow. That's what we need innovation in. If I were to define cybersecurity as a means to and a catalyst for business growth, because that's the premise of this topic, mm -hmm. and I bring the third party partners that we might use, the vendors and partners and all the solutions that you mentioned they are introducing. Is there a realistic way to get them to rally behind that cause or that agenda you have? Or is it still a vendor-customer relationship when it comes to cybersecurity? Because you will otherwise keep managing them versus leading them to help you get to that holy grail of you using cybersecurity to enable business growth. I think you have to be creative and you have to think, you have to understand what your particular business model is. For example, if you're in a business model such that a lot of your, let's say a lot of your vendors are um, smaller uh, SMB type vendors, small, mid-sized vendors, and they don't have the uh, investment capability for security that you might have as a large company, let's say. Well, do you have an opportunity at that point to build a coalition with your vendors whereby maybe you can extend your capability in, say, the area of your GSOC? You know, maybe they can't afford to go to that level. And so you can extend through coalition and provide to your vendors some kind of uh, benefit to that and to your customers. Maybe you have smaller customers. Maybe you could do it the same way. And the customers could pay for that at a much lower rate because you're, you're uh, using economies to drive your prices down. The vendors could maybe pay for that by giving you some sort of discounts or, or enhanced uh, value or service. So maybe some kind of coalition format could create that kind of synergy that you're talking about. And when you try to do that, what? how have the vendors and partners stepped up to help you meet your agenda? Are you finding that warmth building between the cybersecurity leaders and the vendor partners that exist, and especially when you keep seeing new people come? And then you know even if you had a good partner who had a good relationship but doesn't have the solution you want, then you're stuck again, right, to go after new people. What does yeah. that look like, you know, that this, this revolving door of sorts? And, and and I don't I don't know that there's any panacea to the revolving door. There's no uh, there's no secret to that. I think that's going to continue because what I see happening is when companies are startup or early stage, they're very willing to be uh, collaborative and to to build that kind of a, a a situation 
where you can both benefit together. You can help them benefit their product uh, through your information and your testing and your feedback, and they can help you through pricing or through whatever other means they have. And that's always very common, in my opinion, in, in the startup and early stages. What we have seen over recent years, years and decades, is we see large companies, uh, large, large companies, multi-billion dollar companies or multi-million at the very least that want to uh, get into the security space, as an example, from maybe net, whether it be networking or other, some other space. And they're trying to get into it because they see that there's money in security to be made. And when they do that, they'll go buy these startup or early stages and they'll suck up the, the uh, IP. And then all of a sudden you lose the culture that got that startup and early stage going and to the point where they were. You lose that collaboration because you get lost in the big company that you're just a small fraction of their income. So I think that's the that's the uh, the concern. The challenge is how do you how do these big companies figure out how to absorb the intellectual property without losing the the culture and the customer orientation that got them there to begin with? Can reasonably cybersecurity be made flexible and scalable so it could be reduced? in terms of its complexity and or scaled in terms of its scope by, you know, uh, by doing it very quickly, basically making it nimble. So that when business is growing or interestingly nowadays, for example, we are talking about reception, so businesses want to shrink. But since security has a cost, you don't want to have a, a, a Ferrari level security for a, uh, a uh, 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 buggy cart based business, right? right. And 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 that's a, you 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 uh, either have heard or or, or uh, we I psychically gave you one of my common phrases, which is I don't I don't need a Ferrari to haul hay. I need a truck. And so don't bring me solutions that are you know seven figure solutions um, that have. 15 functions that I don't need. Bring me the truck that will let me haul the hay and does what I do need it to do for a fraction of the price. And, I, you know, I think uh, some companies, some vendors have learned how to do that by, by um, you know, giving you the ability to select off a menu and kind of modularize where you can. Some companies, the, the product doesn't lend itself to doing that. It's, it, it is kind of an all or nothing product. So I get it. But that's where, um, you know, we look at this, this change now from the idea of best in breed. Everybody was chasing best in breed. And you had to be in the, in the, in the leader's quadrant. You had to be in the front wave. You had to be best in breed. And that's why we have this, as I said, this saturation of vendors. I think now we're going to see the other side of the, the pendulum swing the other way. We're going to start to see vendors that have figured out that as a CISO, it's not like I want all my eggs in one basket, but I also don't want a hundred baskets. You know, so again, we got to come back to a balance point that says, here are some integrated platforms that use best in breed modules that if you want to buy them individually, you can, 
However, we will also offer you an integrated platform that does this logical piece of your program. Uh, and, and you don't have to have 100 vendors. Maybe now we get down to 10 vendors or 20 vendors, but it's not 100. And I think that's the opportunity that's in front of us. If you had to reimagine the leadership style, the communication style, the way you play politics, not in a negative sense, but basically rally everybody and rather lead them versus manage upwards, downwards, sideways. What would you change or recommend changing in the way a CISO functions today so that they can eventually fulfill that agenda or contribute effectively towards that agenda of securing the business growth? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I, I tell all leaders that they need to stop seeing themselves as whatever their technical specialty is. Stop seeing yourself as only a, a CISO. Stop seeing yourself as only a CIO, as only a CFO, and start seeing yourself as a, a business person. And in addition to that, a salesperson. So, you know, you've got to learn to build a story and tell a story. And when you talk about, quote, politicking, you're talking about the art of influencing is what you're really talking about is, is getting your, and you can only do that by getting your story across. If you can't tell a compelling story that people want to listen to and want to invest money in, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest CISO or the greatest CIO in the world, you're still not going to go anywhere with your program. So learn to tell stories. That's what I would tell everybody to change. Read and learn about sales tactics and sales techniques and, and develop this ability to put to together a compelling story. That's what's going to make you most successful on the business side. And one final question is, if you had to get help, because you know I'm asking a whole lot from the CISO leaders to, to show and, and show your magic, right? But of course, everybody needs help and there's nothing right. wrong with asking for help. So if you were to go back and appeal to business, given the way the shift, the way the whole security landscape is shifting, right? What help should the rest of the organization and the people within it should offer the CISO and the security team by, so that they help you help them so help you help themselves. Yeah, and that's exactly the way I was it was coming across in my head as you were saying that is we have to stop going to the business and saying we have to secure you. And then for a while it evolved into uh, help us understand how we can secure you. So a little bit of a twist on it, but still not good enough. The the message really needs to be is what do you need to drive more revenue? What do you need to enhance your business? Tell me what tell me that. Let me understand that and learn about that. And then I'm the expert. I can tell you how we could solution that to help you get to that result. So again, it's all about that compelling story. And we have to start thinking empathetically about what's the business trying to do? Well, the business is trying to keep customers, get new customers, drive business, enhance revenue. So how are you going to do that on the business side? And what can I do to help you do that? Amazing. Once again, thank you so much, Patrick, for sharing your insights about how the CISOs and their team can work individually and collectively to help secure business growth, leveraging cybersecurity. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate it.
And listeners, hope you enjoyed. Got some nuggets. I got a bunch. So please connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjay Gaul, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.